to another episode of the Raw Knowledge Podcast with myself, your host, as ever, Alex Connor. And today, I'm here with Christine Enville. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, and it's also, I've been watching your clips for International Protein, so it's actually a pleasure to meet you, because your personality comes across, and... We've been enjoying that part of, um, of of our social media. Yeah, which yeah. is probably a good point, actually, because the folks listening, uh, that's how we kind of met, right? Yeah. Uh, we come on board with uh, International Protein as one of the athletes, so we've been doing some more education around that, and we're going to do some stuff on your podcast soon, which is going to be really exciting. Yeah, which we're well. very excited about bringing that back, Muscle yeah. Talk, but um, yeah, you know, it's great to meet you because I can see from what I've, you know, what you put forward that you're very much on the same wavelength as me in terms of your, you know, nutrition and education and, you know, not really kind of being into all that bro science and and fads and stuff. So I think we'll be having an interesting chat. Oh yes, absolutely. We'll definitely will do. It's good because with this like filtered era with everything or over filtered, it's really hard to kind of get to the nuts and bolts and it is confusing for a lot of people. So it's always refreshing when you meet someone who's like, okay, look, let's kind of get to the truth let's like talk about things that are factual that actually work without all of the uh the gloss and the glamour or the smoke and mirrors shall we say exactly exactly yeah. so yep. i guess for, for people listening apart from what we've alluded to international protein if someone was to ask you who you are and what you do how would you give us a bit of a synopsis if you wanted to introduce yourself to the listeners and the watchers of course okay that's a it's a tough one because obviously before international protein or maybe not obviously because it's 2022 now i was a professional bodybuilder uh with the ifbb um obviously was an amateur before that i was also a naba competitor amateur way back in the day Mm -hmm. uh three miss world titles in female bodybuilding uh, that's you know what transitioned me into the IFBB pro ranks. Uh, competed up until about 2015, when injuries kind of came a cropper. But that's all been you know at the same time as doing international protein. So you know competing professionally, doing international protein, um, have kind of been you know the two biggest parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but leading into that, and I guess and I'm kind of walking backwards and sideways and everything here um, my formal education is as a food scientist um, food science and nutrition right. which is which was actually triggered by my interest in bodybuilding so mm. everything kind of interlinks so it's very hard to separate you know one part from another so I guess I'm a food scientist professional bodybuilding business owner and now you know my interest kind of leads into more middle-aged muscle and you know people over 40 getting into weights or having done it all their life and Mm. realizing that the benefits of actually staying active and eating right um can actually negate a lot of the things which we just took for granted as being natural aging Mm. they're not actually Mm. natural that was actually all neglect and that if we actually took care of ourselves, um, we can do things for a lot longer than what we maybe anticipated or what we saw our parents do. So that's probably where I'm at at the moment is um, still using all of those skills, but to kind of move into that space of education and um, you know things which help people over 40 maintain yeah. their level of physical um, activity and fitness. No, that's great. It's a good, and there's there's sort of three parts I'd, I'd love to delve into there. Uh, before I do, I want to sort of go back to the start to set the scene, but it's like the international protein side of things in the business realm. Yeah. There's the your uh, career as a professional athlete and like yep. getting to that, and obviously your interest and in education as a food scientist, which I'm incredibly passionate about. So I'll try not to talk about that the whole time, <laughs> and I think that's why we'll get on really well. Because yes, you're the exercise side, and I'm kind well, of the nutrition side, well, and the two things it coincides, yeah. right? And and nutrition is an area that I love so much, but it's also it's so confusing these days. People are always asking me, like, technically, I'm a nutritionist as well, but it's like, well. 
yeah, okay, well, there's that many qualifications and it's like to what level and to what degree and then people are like, what's the difference between a dietitian and this and then? But anyway, age is a disease we're all dying from, right? In terms yeah. of anti-aging is the... Is the, is the biggest thing. Because quality it, of life is really the most important thing. Like, who wants to live to 90 if, if for 30 shit. years of that yeah. you're bedridden or, you know, not able to move freely or do the things that you wanted to do? And I think that's a key thing that comes through with a lot of people that mm. I talk to in that space is that I want to be able to do the things that I did at 25, maybe not to the same degree. Mm. But you want to do them well. Exactly. feel good about it. Yeah, rather than have to be thinking, oh, well, you know, that was in my younger days or, you know, reminisce back to the times when I was able to do this and do that but you can actually do all of those things and you know some people are finding that they're even better now in their 40s because they were in a different space in their life and in exercise and physical activity wasn't a thing that they did in their 20s they were maybe out partying or just you know doing whatever and they've realized that they're actually having feeling better, being better mm-hmm. um, by taking care and, and you know, move, I, I say just by keep moving. You know, yeah. Keep moving, eat right, keep moving. Well, it's it's uh, even neurologists have agreed that the best things for anti-aging for, to date is strength training and nutrition. Yes. You know, in terms of, because people always, uh, you know, there's a lot of drugs like metformin and things like that that bantered around. But I think, again, people are sort of looking for that magic pill. It's like, but a supplement to food is like what is the definite something to aid and maintain or add or bridge a gap it's not to be the whole in general mm. and i think people miss the forest for the trees there but frank zang old school bodybuilder one yeah. of my favorites my dad was a big fan of him and passed on his sort of book and i read them as a young child was like and it was great because he talked a lot about how he believed that his quality of life and his physique was actually better in his 40s and a lot of people are like well how can that be but i think like you said it comes down to that education where a lot of people are messing themselves up in the early days by maybe going too hard too soon or they're not able to do things that are sustainable uh, I, I don't know and looking back and looking at what he did and kind of taking the good from the bad and i was like well you know what he's got a point here about he's very holistic in his approach right he was very three-dimensional it wasn't all about training even down to language, things like that. Mm, it, well, it can, that's the thing. It can never be about one thing because mm. everything is working in this like three-dimensional three matrix. Mm. So, you know, you can train, and, and I'm going to make it really, really basic to the point of you can train exactly the same all year round, but you can at point in time have abs and at other points in time not have abs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not just the training, it's the diet that goes along with that. And any person who's a bodybuilder really knows that cyclic phase of, of what they're doing. Like maybe they're doing a little bit more cardio, but their weight training is basically the same. And I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit of story because I, I just love digressing all over the oh, place over here. <laughs> this is what um... we're about on this podcast, <laughs> long form content, people. <laughs> but, um, the first time, sorry, it would be my um, second world championships. I went to Spain, and this was the first time that South Africa had sent a bodybuilding team what, to compete. What year was this, just out of interest? 1998. Right, okay. 1998, so I just take you back there in time. <laughs> you go back in the time no, machine. No, I like it. <laughs> so that, that's why, I mean, you know, South Africa had been, you know, I guess out of apartheid a long time, but they mm. hadn't had an active bodybuilding community that actually travelled to yeah. world events. So this was okay. their first time, and no one was in condition. You know, they were all big some big boys and some big girls, but mm. everyone was smooth. And this was still like pro division. This, this was um, world championship amateurs. Right. So, Nab- so okay. it was NABBA, yeah. back when I was doing NABBA. And, um, and I, you know, that was one of my best shows as an amateur. I won the overall um, at that show for the second time. Looked, I mean, I'm going to say I looked friggin' amazing because I look mm. back at my photos I've and I'm like, I've seen your Damn. photos. 
You are very so, predisposed to building muscle. To yes. genetics, I think you've definitely got some, like, you did on your side there. Yeah, there's, I, I do I'm change like, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I, do, <laughs> I can change an exercise and a week later I can see a difference. So, yeah. But, uh, but digressing back to this story, yeah. uh, after, you know, you go out, you have some food, you, you meet the other countries and relax and that. And the guys on the South African team were like, how did... How long did it take you to train to get like that? And mm. I'm thinking, I'm like, well, okay, I've been training for ten years. They're like, no, no, but we mean to get lean like that. Uh, and we're like, yeah. like, what do you mean? How long do I train? Like, it's the diet. And they're like, diet. <laughs> what? Do, what do you mean diet? <laughs> and that, and that was kind of when we realised that they'd been looking at magazines. Yes. And they had, and, and because they didn't have the input from other countries, and people remember this is pre social media, mm. really it was kind of pre internet as well. Like yeah, everyone was wasn't internet. really looking at that. Yeah, yeah like we still had to wait, you know, maybe a couple of months for the magazine to come out to get the information of the results of the competition that had happened, you know, two months ago. Mm. So this is, you know, this is a, a, an era when, um, you know, communication wasn't as free and information wasn't as freely available as what it is now. So these guys, it wasn't until they went to that level of competition and then they like realized and started talking like, oh my God, you guys actually do like a diet phase, <laughs> a cutting phase to get ready to get your abs. So mm. essentially they just trained and figured that that was just how you looked from eating and training and they yeah. just kind of figured, okay, we need to train another five years and we'll look like that. Ah, so they thought it was like a permanent uh, state that yeah, you could achieve exactly. lower body fat percentiles by increasing muscle tissue. But, yeah, yeah, didn't realise. And, and, you know, that's, that's you know, 20 years ago, just not just over mm. 20 years ago that that was that mindset for them. But then the next year they came back and they freaking were shredded and mm. dominated. Yeah, which which, <laughs> so, which is interesting, isn't it? Um, in terms of, like, we, we look at the standard of shit now and it was it was like when like shredded glutes or like glute striations when we look at the the upper echelons of bodybuilding because obviously that's not the goal for every you know competitor depending on the category we've got so many categories now yeah which but, but it was like wow this that when that first comes like this, this person's got lines on their glutes now it's like you ain't shredded if you've not got lines yeah. like, it's it, it sort of like i believe it, like it's like we've got different benchmarks it definitely i mean everything does progress mm. and um, and, and even within your own self, like, you know, you should do that anyway when you're competing. If you've got lines in your chest for your comp, you should have those lines in your chest four weeks out yes. at your next comp. Correct. That's how you progress, you know, having that kind of benchmark of I want to improve on that. But um, but definitely, like, you know, if you go back, really go back in time and, and people had, like, only the major cuts in their cords mm. Mm. and then, you know, feathering becomes the thing. And it is a little bit, um, you know, what you get exposed to because – Again, going back in time, in you know when I was competing out of Victoria, Victorians were known for being shredded because that was the culture of the Victorian competitions. That what got marked up, um, you know, very much kind of spearheaded by Tony Doherty. You know, when he was running the comps down there, because that's what he liked. So he would encourage the competitors to get super shredded. You go up to Sydney, and it was they liked the big dudes. You know, mm. they weren't always the best condition, but they just loved the muscle size. Mm. So you'd come up at the nationals, and there'd be the big non-so shredded guy and then the little shredded Victorian guys and it's like, okay, who's going to win? And it really did come down to that personal preference. But um, but bodies, there's a, there's a fashion, I believe, to what's in style in terms of what muscle group is shredded or even just mm. what look. And then that is kind of supported by the way that divisions like wellness are coming in mm. where it's all mm. about the big booty. I grew up in an era when women weren't supposed to have butts you mm. know like they was like oh god i'm gonna try to hide that and if mm. you had a big butt it was terrible you had to try to lose it and and that's a little bit cultural mm. but then again with the sharing of social media what becomes 
more popular than the fact that they now have a division which enhances the fact that okay that's for women with big glutes and legs mm. um, and obviously men's physique is for guys with no legs and big shoulders and mm. you know there's there's trends around how we look um mm. you know whether whether it's you know i think like dorian yates kind of was really the man who cemented having a big back yeah because up until then you know the the bodies were not they, they didn't have that extreme shock mm. factor and, and the backs weren't like so, so developed. And now, you know, there's different muscle groups continue to be the ones which kind of get augmented and like say, like what's the definition of being shredded? Okay, if you don't have shredded glutes, don't step on stage or you might have everything else shredded, but people are going to ignore that if you don't have that particular mm. thing. And, you know, one point in time it was abs. Everything was judged off of the abs. Now, uh, I don't know, they don't have abs. They just kind of have like, stomachs and yeah and they've things. gone a so, bit too far with it yeah. which i think that's i mean yeah we'll get on to that but it's been addressed it's like i think that's why the classic physique's almost coming yeah, back a little yeah. bit more now it's like there's a point where can we get like anatomically can we get that much bigger and can we anatomically get leaner well we'll be once you're at you know people quote being two percent body fat with all this it's like when you're getting down there you're in hospital yeah like, like yeah. do you know what i mean so i'm like so my coach is dr joe klemzeski I don't know if you know Dr. Joe, but he was back in the... He's got more pro cards than any coach going. Yeah. He's like... He was the initial uh, godfather of, let's not cut water for competitions because we know that we need cellular volume in here and yeah. if and why and how. And, and to the point where... And then he coached Lane Norton and all these coaches. So it's funny because a lot of people don't know about him, but he was like the protagonist to all of this. Okay. Because, again, he was reading these magazines and, and he had coaches and they were like, you have to do this magazine thing. And he's like, yeah, but... And he was studying nutrition. He's like, yeah, but hang on like this doesn't make sense so then he started doing it differently he got his own pro card he was coaching people and then he got ifbb pros which was this is really interesting saying can you coach me but i am not going to advertise you i'm going to still pay my coach i'm going to pay you now these days he doesn't allow that he's like no like he coaches yeah. IFB, he coaches everybody because even the guys who were enhanced were like hang on they, they they're like this guy's getting people absolutely just treaded and how and mm. he was like well like this is it's not magic but this is kind of pragmatic what you need to do and now it's interesting how people are just still people i see people almost fainting on the stage i'm like what because they're depriving themselves of of water and these fads and it's really sad yeah and they're fucking their conditioning up (laughs) and i'm like you can't even pose let alone look shredded you know what i mean and and, and i think that you know i I guess i don't want to get onto a a negative cycle or anything Mm. but it is a, a problem with coaches who don't have any kind of training in in science let alone medicine which is or pharmacology or anything that they're actually working in Uh, and you know the thing with the the water side of things that was i remember first year uni when we were doing and i'm trying to remember whether it was organic or um which particular chemistry because we had to do all organic physical and one other one which i can't even remember what it was now but we were talking basically about you know the cell gradients and you know, the the sodium being outside of the cell, more potassium inside, still mm. having both, but the ratio of which they existed to either draw more water into the cell or push it out of the cell and... Give you that look, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, this is so exciting for being able to peak for a bodybuilding oh, show. Just, yeah, yeah, no, everyone else is just like, <laughs> from a health and they don't, I'm just like, I can use this shit, you know? I'm like, this is this is interesting, yeah. you know? And, um, and even just things like... Um, from a sodium depletion point of view, like how much sodium stored within your body that to actually really deplete your body of sodium takes about six months or four to six months. But it's so needed in so many places that you kind of don't want to do that. No, and it gets uh, a bad rap. People, I thought salt was bad. I'm like, 
in the you wrong know, spot, in a, the wrong time, in the wrong correct. amount. With the it, it, it's wrong, but mm. it's also so right at the right time. Yeah, in the right it's ratio. Still essential in some quantities. And it, and it is more about the ratio, mm. like you know the the potassium to sodium ratio mm. and where it's going to pull that water to is so important. It's it's like so, the whole the zealot when someone wakes up after say eating a McDonald's or a pizza and like I looked better than I did on comp day. And that's obviously something there has happened chemically, but they don't specifically know, like they don't know mechanistically what made them look good. They just think, oh, it was the pizza. It's like, no, it was at some point, maybe you had enough glycogen, you had enough hydration, enough potassium and sodium, you had enough time and you just happened to wake up and you were like probably really low stress. You had a great sleep and it was just like, boom, <laughs> why get another company? It's like, but then again, it's, it's, that's the thing with nutrition. People are looking at the theme rather than the mechanism. Mm. is what i often think about so they go oh it, it's it's this set of foods it's like no what's in the foods and how do they interact with the body and the dosage and the time and what else is going on? And, and i think that you've really <laughs> hit the nail on the head there with the what else is going on because there's a there's a couple of things that stand out in my mind mm. one of them was chris cormier which i hopefully everyone remembers who he was because he's one of the most you know, incredible pro bodybuilders of his time. Mm-hmm. Still um, coaches and trains a lot of people to, you know, today in mm. well, actually all around about the place. Mm. But he said at one point in time, someone said, do you deplete for a competition? Mm. And he said, depends what I, how I look coming into that show. Like if I'm on the money, I'm already body fats down. Yeah. I'm not going to deplete. I'm just going to coast through into that show. He goes, mm-hmm. if I'm a little, feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, then I will do a depletion. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I always remember that. But then to actually see it in practice, there was, an, I don't know if anyone remembers Guy Grundy. So he was an Aussie guy. Mm-hmm. He went over to the States. He now does acting and all kinds of stuff. But he right. used to compete NABBA with us. And he did one competition and he come into that show like he'd been in condition for probably three weeks prior. He was so, so, so depleted and super, super shredded. Right. He went into that comp and he was able to eat whatever. Like he was eating up from probably, you know, three, four days before the mm, comp looked amazing. Sort of thing, yeah. yeah. And he's like, okay, that's what I need to do. Then the next show he did, he didn't come into it in the same extreme condition of depletion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that people, they think, okay, that's the, that's the method. That's the method. Mm. But if you haven't given your body a reason to be so, stre- so stressed to have that uptake of nutrients, then you're kind of coming into it just at a medium level. And then everything that you load on top, kind of can smooth you out and that's when you end up with those hence why peak wig isn't magic people say uh, oh peak wig and i'm like if you ain't shredded peak wig ain't gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> the work has to be done prior yeah uh again probably I've, I've got to say before we continue on let's kind of quickly go back what how did you get into lifting and was there any uh people or events that inspired you and then we'll kind of jump back to yeah. that because i just think that would be interesting to know like was it something by chance was it your father was it your mother like was it someone because like it, oh, you love this stuff so yeah um it was it was it's a, there's a bit of a long story to it so way you know before i started lifting um i had a lot of issues with food i was an anorexic I would say I did a stint in hospital mm-hmm. because I didn't like eating. I didn't want to have mm-hmm. size. And actually at that point in time... Was this when you were like very, very young? 14. So okay. it's, it's, yeah. yeah, around that age. I mean, I started lifting at 16, mm-hmm. 15 going on 16. So it was kind of all in that space of time. I even remember in PE, we actually did a section on weightlifting and I like literally refused to do it. Because <laughs> you didn't want to be like, you just wanted to stay small. Yeah. Was it like, like a bit I of wanna... body dysmorphia in terms of like, you're like, I can't get big at all yeah and, and that was like a total lack of understanding of what muscle actually does for you and how 
because what it what it actually worked out it was I didn't actually have an issue with being big so much as I actually didn't like body fat. That was kind of oh, what it actually got diagnosed as. So yeah. I guess that really played into being a bodybuilder. But at the time, um, until I figured all of that stuff out, I didn't want to do weights, didn't want to put anything that I was size and or anything like that. But then I had a friend of mine who she was, I'm going to say she was like a serial anorexic. She was in and out of hospitals constantly. Um, and they were looking for something for her that would kind of give her permission to eat. And that's what weight training did. Like the exercise was like the permission to eat. And if you understand the psychology of, of anorexia, a lot of it's about control and permission and everything. So she went to the gym and she was very, very skinny when she went. And we had English class together and she'd come into the class and she'd like flex this little bicep. And it started off like a little pea. Like literally it wasn't, it didn't start out like a normal bicep, just yeah. small. It literally, there was like a pea thing, a pea in the middle of her arm. Huh. It's like a little pea. Then it grew into a marble. And then it kind of grew into a golf ball size. And then it kind of grew into an egg size. So this yeah. little muscle was just kind of like growing on her arm. Yeah. And I was fascinated by it. She's like, oh, you should come train. Like you should try out the gym. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Like, let's go along, you know. <laughs> okay, so we, you know, we bought leotards and, you know, cruised on in and did all these little circuits. And, you know, our first program was actually a circuit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't the traditional set type training that yeah. you see now. It was literally like whole body, about 12 exercises, do it once and then, you know, build up to doing it twice, build up <laughs> to doing it three times and, you know, like, whoa. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, I was in a country town and there was a guy who was um, – He's about our age and he was like 16 or something and he was going to do a teenage show. Mm. So, you know, to us, he looked massive and he was all like muscly and getting lean and everything. And my friend had a crush on him. So we thought we'll go watch him compete. You know, we'll go see what this is all about. And conned my mum into driving us an hour to watch this show. <laughs> Anyone who knows anything about bodybuilding comps, teenage divisions up first. He's on, off, we wanted to leave. Yeah. And, and my mum's like, I've driven you here, you know, you've got to stay and watch this whole show. Yeah. So we're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then we saw the women. And that was like, both of us were kind of like, hey, that's really cool. Like they had little abs and little biceps and then when they were flexing and stuff. So it was, literally it was actually more her idea than mine. Um, but we just, we were like, we went back to the gym on the Monday and we are like, we want to be bodybuilders. And the guy who coached the teenage guy, he's like, okay, I'll change your program up. And um, he started to, you know, encourage us to read the magazines and um, structured our program so that we were kind of doing like, you know, sets. So, you know, obviously anyone who doesn't know the difference, like a circuit is when you might do one set of each body part and move through that. Whereas mm. set training, obviously you do all your muscle group together, but you'll do say, you know, three or four sets of one exercise, then move to the next exercise. So mm -hmm. just in case anyone didn't know that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so they moved us over to, you know, bodybuilding style training and also introduced the concept of progressive overload, which is something which I just assumed everybody knew. Um, but I've done, you know, I've done a few programs for people recently, again, in that, you know, over 40s space, and then they've never done progressive overload. And mm. um, so that essentially, it's counterintuitive when you're 16 years old to think that I'm going to get more tired, but you're going to make me do more weight. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought the guy was mad, but... Yeah. <laughs> But hey, he, he but he knew he knew he he put muscles on this guy, so we figured he must kind of know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I and literally have used progressive overload probably as my main principle forever. Like that, mm. just doing it. Um, obviously, and again, I'll just go into that briefly. Um, starting off on your first set of you know ten twelve reps on a weight which is relatively comfortable, 
going up and doing, you know, around 10 reps on a weight, which is, you know, making you work. Third set is, you know, you really had to put some work in to get those 10, maybe eight reps. And then your last set being um, maybe you'll fail at six, maybe you need a spot depending on what exercise, but mm-hmm. you, you're you not going to get 10. If you're getting 10 on that last set, it's time to go up in weight. So, mm-hmm. and that was always how I gauged how I was going to progress and overload as soon as if I'm getting even eight reps on my last set of that heavier weight that then becomes my third set weight everything moves up and I get a new fourth set weight so that was Mm. literally how I built all of my size over the years um but that was maybe you know very very fortunate that we got taught that principle from like from the get-go yeah because a lot of people don't yeah sort of uh fuck around for lack of better words for many many years many years because they sort of avoid the like at some point it's like train hard it's like yes it's an oversimplification but a lot of people it's like we use the concept of rpe now um which was created by uh, like mike touche which is on a scale of one to ten if ten is failure and one is super easy we want to be like yeah maybe it's a seven and eight but we go to nine and then there's time and a place for failure but people think they're hitting failure but i'm like well on a safe exercise Let's try. And then they get five, six, seven, eight more. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, so now where do you think everything else in your training has been? So par to causing damage. So I think at some point, it's just people don't like to be uncomfortable. But we also must understand that. It's like you go in the gym, that weight was heavy. But people really don't understand the concept of how your body adapts. So I'm like, there's going to be some neurological and physiological and even mental changes between now and even next week. So when you come in that way, it actually might feel lighter. In the early days, you know how it is. It's great yeah. to be a beginner again in terms of the progression, you know? Like, Every give, session. Yeah, give me more. Yeah, where now it's like, maybe we get a little in here, a little bit there. We're going to change this. quarter on. Yeah, but um, it, yeah. it's so true. Because uh, it's simple. It's complex, but it's simple at mm. the same time. You know what I mean? And I think that's where having, like, and again, back in the day, there were no coaches or whatnot, you know, you're lucky if you fell in with someone who knew kind of what they were doing, who could push you and know you to push you. So some of it is, mm. you know, mental outlook. You've got to want it. Like yeah. you, as in, you've got to want more. So I'm not naturally that person, but I'll work hard. So I was fortunate to have people who would push me and be able to kind of judge sometimes mm. like, Oh, look, you know, you're being, you're being a little bit slack. Like, you know, you can do more. Yes. And then you, then it almost becomes a habit that you learn of actually wanting to progress and wanting to mm. do more and really attacking it but it's but it's mental and I always say that to people that so many times I would go in the gym when I was training at my peak and if I and because people say oh weights is boring and 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 and, and you know it's just and I'm thinking well you're not doing it properly because obviously yeah. to me it is one of the most difficult things mentally it's hard. because if I wasn't mentally focused on that weight I tell you it was not going to move like no. I swear a lot of the time that the the weight was literally moving with my mind and my mm. my focus of just like mm. you know I'm imagining my bicep pulling that weight up yeah. because I was working so high above what my natural ability really was yeah. like especially because i you know measure it against how i train now and i don't really go outside of my comfort yeah. zone because something's probably going to break yeah. especially um, when it comes to i think training legs as well like just to use a quick example i think about tom platts you know he's renowned for his legs yeah or even you look at the simplicity of a program but like people are always astonished at my program and they're like is that it i'm like yep and they're like oh and i'm like because people want programs to be complex and they want to do exercises that are novelty mm. and they want things to change very often. But I'm like, the progression exists within the programming. In terms of why change an exercise if you've, you know, learned the skill, keep going with it. So, I mean, people look and I go, right, now come train. And then when I train people, 
people go, and I don't just kill people. There's there's a way to. You, yeah. know, you, you can't do. I'm not into that. I think no, because that's, that's counterproductive. Yeah, I don't like yeah, when people are like, and... you have to earn the right to train at a certain level, and it takes time. Like you can't yeah. just go in there and start moving big weights because it's. It, we use the analogy of a car. You put a thousand brake horsepower in a car. You don't upgrade the brakes. You don't upgrade the wastegates, the stabilizers, all these other things. I'm like, you're gonna fuck it. So you have to kind of get to that level. Also, someone mentally can't deal with that stress, but a lot of people are not training hard enough. So I'm like, yes, you're doing these four or five exercises. That might not seem a lot because you've been doing 10, but I'm like, you are literally just doing garbage volume. Just a quick one, guys, before we carry on with the podcast, for any of you who are interested in taking your health and physique to the next level and you want to remove the guesswork, you're not quite getting the progress that you want, you're not seeing what you want to see in the mirror and you're not feeling like you're really moving in the right direction, then click the link in the bio below the apply button where you can contact me we can organize a free consultation no obligation and discover whether it's a good fit as coach and client all right back to it Mm. now let's set it up let's get the technique right let's not swing on weights let's now actually push the weight up let's actually go to discomfort to true failure not mental failure mechanistic failure sometimes depending on the exercise but that really elucidates in my mind and for a lot of people like shit i'm like yeah you've been leaving a lot on the table it's not hard but again like you said it's like to go in and know that you're like that like that last leg day and i've got to repeatedly do that it's Mm. like at that level especially when you're getting into that intermediate advance you're like i've just got to do it yeah (laughs) well well, that and that's the thing with the programming as well like you said Mm. it's it's within the programming I will always figure how do you know if you've progressed if you're literally changing your exercises every week? Because as you said, one, that you have to learn the motor, motor skill mm. of doing that particular exercise. And that's a, to do it efficiently and to do it well. It's not like, and that's the thing. People think weights is easy, but if it's so easy, how come I see 90% of the people ever training wrong because they don't understand what it is that, or, or you're not aware of what your body's doing at that mm-hmm. time. So one, you've got to actually learn it. But then you have to benchmark it and then you can progress. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, and even I would find going from a different gym, even though the weight say that that's, you know, 40 kilos and the gym over there says it's 40 kilos, it feels different at a different gym. Mm. You know, sometimes it feels lighter and sometimes it feels heavier. And I, that's possibly the mental side of it. It can be those little things about the ergonomic of the dumbbell or the, the padding on the bench. Absolutely. So many things around that. So that's one aspect of it. And that was one of the things with our programs or what I did in the day was um, I had an essential, like a program, mm. but I don't ever remember changing my program other than I would look back, say, in nine months and realize that most of the exercises were different, but I was still doing chess because we'd only ever change one thing at a time. Correct. It's like, like those little m- progressions. More, time, yeah, but... morph one in, morph one out. Okay, might switch, you know, incline uh, barbell press for some dumbbells, but the the barbell stays on yeah. the flat bench or something like that. Mm. So that was how how things progressed. But it really like so you knew in knew in going to the gym, knowing what your targets were. At one point and in time, writing kept, it down and tracking it, old uh, school. I was knowing say, what at, you're doing. Yeah. yeah at, one, well, at one point in time, I was writing it down. By the time I was writing to it, it was it was so in my head that I I was not going to forget what I'd done the week yeah. before. Like there there was absolutely no way, way that that was going to happen. But I did keep a book for about three or four years. It's nice, and so it's, it was, well, it's because it builds the habit exactly. and the behavior. And I think that's why because I remember, like, oh, I don't want to track something. And, no, you know, that was you, my initially in the early days, and then my. Um, my coach and my boss at the time, the first gym, when I was 16, and he goes, he was SAS, big dude, and he's like, do you track nutrition? Do you track? I'm like, no. He's like, 
how do you know what you're putting in if you're not, you know, how do you know what you're getting out if you're not putting So, yeah. and I was like, oh, and then I started, and I'm like, I've got all this progress. I'm like, oh, that was magic. It's like, it wasn't. It was just being accountable and being able, well, well, if I did this exercise last week and did this many reps at this weight, can I do a little bit more? It's like, it's, it's so simple, but that's where it starts. Exactly. And obviously there's a lot more to that over time. But again, it, I love the way you explain it because it's not that difficult. The difficulty is within it. And I use that same example, as you said before, where 90% of people in the gym, I always say when I'm onboarding a new client, people come to me and I said, look, and this is the same when I'm coaching someone online and setting expectations. I'm like, look, this is not going to be anything magic. It's going to be very anticlimactic for you, but you're going to need to give me feedback. And I'm, the difference is going to be the way you execute. Now, I don't want to put it on a pedestal, but I'm like, skill acquisition and technique is key. I said, and the, here's the like, let, black and it's white. I'm like, okay, if this isn't the case, let's go in any gym, anywhere in the world right now. I said, we go in here, EMF, we're sat outside. And I said, how many people if we strip everyone, right, and they laugh, and I'm like, looks like they lift. I said, or to any degree, right? And let us, let us not even talk about rest and nutrition. like, not many. I'm like, okay. I said, and is everyone doing the exercises? Like, really? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, yeah, they're all doing them, right? Mm. Because they're all there. It's and like, there's no secret room with some secret exercises and them there. So I'm like, so what's the difference then? The difference is manipulating muscle, knowing how to position joints and activate and, and being, being aware of how to, if you have a basic awareness of biomechanics and physiology, how to get as much as you can out of it. Because like you said, most people are on exercises and they're just going through the motions or you think they're not even using the back there and this, but yeah. you don't know what you don't know. So it's not their fault, but at some point... You have to be your own parent and go, well, are you just pissing your money away? Because if well, I was going to a place and not getting results after a while, I'd go, well, people go, but I'm having fun. I said, you'd be delirious with it when you're getting results. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll be having fun. And you'll take fun to a new level. Exactly. But, yeah, but well, I, I had a, 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 that experience where a friend of mine had um, purchased a Kai Green training program. And he's like, is it a good program? And I looked at it and I went, any program's a good program, really. Yes. But how are you going to actually do it? Correct. And, you know, like you obviously work through with your clients. I say that too. Um, I work, I don't say I work, I, um, I'm very close to Brandon Ray and his training is his, his jam. Like he, he dreams of new exercises and, and new techniques and everything. And he now has to get his clients to video how they do the exercise Absolutely. because he says that, yeah, he'll explain it do it and then the technique will be off. He's like, even though I send, he goes, he'll send a video of how to do it. Yep. And it's like, they find a way of doing it different. Cause again, until you video yourself back, a lot of the time you don't know how you're doing it. Correct. And again, that's why back in the day, I always had a, a training partner who could check me mm -hmm. because, you know, I think I'm doing this, but I'm actually doing something totally different or, or my foot's turned the wrong way or I'm uneven or something mm. You're not, you're not aware necessarily, but you will through body positioning and habit learn where you are, but mm. you do need that person to kind of, I think, be there and kind of say, okay, no, you, you didn't take that back as far as mm. what you thought you did. You're only, you're moving it like literally that far. Mm. Um, so there's all of those things going into it. But yeah, he, um, you know, he's, you, you would love to have a discussion with Brandon Absolutely. and I think he'd be great on the podcast too, mm. if he's overseas, obviously, but yeah. Mm. Um, you know, because he's gotten a lot into the SST mm. style training, time under tension. And like I say, he's like the advanced technique guy. Mm. Like, you know, most of what I did was here at this level. Um, what I wish about as I got older that I had been able to incorporate more of what he does before I got hit with injuries. Because that's the only drawback of, yes. you know, the way that I yeah. was training and, and always progressing. It's great when you're in your 20s. 
it's probably okay in your early 30s, but when you try to do it in your late 30s and heading into your 40s, it just does not agree, especially if you've done it your whole life. Yeah. Because there is that natural wear and tear that happens, and then also you've obviously exacerbated it by putting mm. so much load through, and I've kind of found that certain things just, you know, they just go ping. Mm. Um, so having to use different techniques as I've gotten older has definitely been a... Um, I guess it's been a natural progression because I have been quoted when I was younger saying if I have to do more than 10 reps, I'm never going to train because I just mentally can't do it. And yeah. really where that was coming from was because to do 10 reps was so mentally taxing mm. because of the way that I was training that I wouldn't have been able to do 15 reps. Like my brain would have probably just yeah. <laughs> like gone yeah. onto flatline or something. Yeah. So, you know, I you know say a lot of things out of context when I was younger, but now as I train, mm. I went through a phase of enjoying doing a lot of supersets and higher reps and everything because my body was so fit. Like my muscles had got so fit over yeah. the years. You have to keep challenging them. I think that's the time yeah. and the place where you do have to become resourceful. Um, but again, it's the context and whether young people or not even young people, but people maybe who are newer, beginner, because you can be a beginner and later, but yeah. you'll respect... It's like respond, do the basics. You'll get so much, and when you need to use that tool, exactly. But don't use the tool for the tool's sake. You know, people want to come in and do drop sets, supersets, occlusion training, all this, and it's like there's a time and a place for that, yeah, and, and I, it's probably not right now. Like, why not just get more from like the low hanging fruit? Get all the low hanging fruit. Exactly. When and you've then, exhausted that, yeah, go for it and look for those next things. But I'm yeah, because that, to me, those basics are really what what built the, the foundation, foundation. You know, and that. That the foundation that lives here, mm. I can train with half the amount of weight and the muscle is not going to go away. Mm. Obviously, it's not going to be at the size that it was, but it's definitely hanging in there a yeah. lot better than like, because I didn't know what was going to happen in my future. Obviously, I start yeah. training and everyone says, ah, oh, the muscles are all going to turn to fat when you get older. And obviously, you know, physiologically, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, I wasn't silly enough to buy into that myth, but at the same time, you're thinking, okay, but if my muscles relaxed, it's going to look like it's fat because it's not as tight mm, anymore. Mm. And all those things run through your head. And am I going to gain weight because I'm going to want to keep eating like when I was a bodybuilder? Am mm. I going to be able to control that part of it? So there's a lot of things that can happen. And, and mm. obviously, you know, now I enjoy a lot more functional fitness, a lot more mm. cardio, and I do a lot more um, different things. Yeah. yeah, I even did my first stretch class last night. Oh, nice. Yes. How are you feeling? Good. I felt really, really good after. It's, hum felt... it's humbling, isn't it? I started out very well because they started on hamstrings and I had very flexible hamstrings. So oh, I think the good. instructor was kind of like, because I, I ran out of ladder to stretch down. He's like, oh, you've run out of ladder. And everyone else was like up here trying yeah. to stretch. So he's probably thinking, shit, she's flexible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to quads. Ah. And then we went to quads and he was like, is that a stretch? And I'm like, it's very painful. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally like, they had like they have these bars and, and how many bars you go back. Oh, right. And you had okay. it on three, so that was, and then you're supposed to like, I don't know, put your glute under and, and tilt this. And I was kind of like upright like this going, oh. And that the other leg I had to go like one more space out because it couldn't handle it. Yeah. He's like, you're not supposed to be in that much pain. Like, hey. <laughs> quite dominant <laughs> <laughs> oh god but yeah and, and i'd recognize actually whenever i get a massage i'm like oh, they touch the quads because yeah. they've been very very tight hamstrings i've always had flexible hamstrings mm. from a teenager yeah. before weights but the quads not but what surprised me was my lats and it felt mm. like i had chunks of wood instead of muscle because they were just like 
Yeah, you don't want to, the, the, the lats are a big culprit uh, functionally mm. for a, for a lot of people. That people don't really understand the role of the lat and how it can restrict and cause a lot of uh, immobility and pain around other joints, especially the shoulder and even bicep and things like that. It's, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, so they're they're definitely um yeah that was surprising, but it was it was something that I had made a commitment to do because good, good. I I struggle to do those things on my own, mm. but I I literally had this picture in my head that it was going to be like a a room of people on mats doing stretches yeah. <laughs> but it was equipment and it was real like i've, I've seen cool. i've seen in some of the gyms in america they have the stretching racks and yes. the little diagrams and that and i haven't seen them in any of the gyms here mm. i don't know if you've seen them in the gyms here i think in more advanced gyms sometimes in the bigger cities they've got a couple of them but yeah yeah it's but not it's not quite as advanced uh, in Australia, it's a bit more traditional. I think maybe Virgin Active have got a few things, okay. but like you know, people that are kind of on the forefront or the international based gyms. Yeah, because because yeah, it's like a, a standard thing in a lot of the gyms in America. So I you know get on the stretching cage and you know, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So that was why I figured I better learn. Mm. Um, and as I said, this equipment was different to what I've even seen. Because they have like the bendy things that you can bend, they stretch your back that way and stretch that way and yeah. do all these other bits and pieces. So I'm doing that once a week. Um, so I'm going to see how I go because, yeah. yeah, I just know I do so much through the week, which binds my body up. Yes. And, you know, massages are kind of cool, but if you don't have the right masseuse, they can be a bit just like ho-hum. So you exactly. want someone who's actually getting in there and releasing, but this felt, it felt great. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will be, I always say people who do more strength, more flexibility, people who do more flexibility probably need more strength. It's like, it's finding that kind of thing that balances you out, especially like, as you said, you get older, there's, you've done so much of this. It's like, maybe you need, we need to do a little bit of that. Yeah. And th- and that's the thing Easier where, well, it's that thing too, that, and this is for people who are older, who've trained a long time, mm. need to be mindful of the fact that we ha- because we're strong in certain areas, they will, our body will do everything that it can to protect something and use what it's got. So, mm. you know, for example, my TFL gave me a lot of trouble because my glute was not activating properly. Mm. But my TFL was just like, oh, that's all right. We've got it. We'll, we'll just take all the weight here. Yeah. But then it comes a point in time where it's not supposed to take that kind of weight. Correct. But a normal person or a person who hasn't trained will be straight away like, oh, I have a problem. Yes. Whereas me, it's like a problem is a long way down the track. Yeah. yeah, because the body just does what it needs to do. And, you know, same thing, our, our stabilizer muscles are not always as developed as bodybuilders because a lot of what we do is very linear. Mm. You know, if yeah, we're pushing the bench press and we're doing that, we're not working from a lot of different angles and things. So that's a, a thing where particularly when your focus is growing as much muscle as possible, it's like, why would you worry about those little unseen muscles? Because... They're not going to enhance how you look on stage. Mm. So you want to maximize that, and that's what you're training for. And my other um, big learning that's come out is the fact that I um, never liked a hip, like my upper glute, glute meds, because of how it looked on stage, and then have realized or found out that that's actually a major stabilizer muscle for walking as you get older. So why do a lot of people fall when they're old? It's because they don't have the strength up here. So oh, that's gone back in the program. There you go. <laughs> so different goals, different goals as you get older yeah. and um, always trying to keep that in mind. So what was what was important at 30 or, you know, when I was competing is now no longer important. It's nice if you look nice, mm. but it's not the goal. The goal is more um, Functional. functionality, yeah. power, flexibility, agility, balance. Balance is a huge um, fitness component as you get older because... Mm. 
old people fall over for it, it is and it's sad because a lot of them people go oh, it's a fall it's like yeah but a fall when you're that age can be you never recover and you die like it's, that's a very brutal sad truth it is because yeah. some people have just no strength at all but to to circle back to so you were, you were in the gym, you were training with your friend, and you yep. built up, you obviously started competing there? Yeah, well, actually, sorry, yes, yeah, so we're going way back then. Sorry. So, sorry. so <laughs> I, I actually, I actually went on exchange. I went on a student exchange. So she kept training. Mm. I went to Brazil, um, but I kept training. I I, yeah. I, um, I got to the place where I was living, and my ho- I said to my host family, I, I, tra- I weight train, and they're like, oh, that's great. We've got a gym in the apartment. And I've gone in there, and it was like this, Kind of, you imagine a universal machine, but it had rope. It didn't have what, cables or wires. So this uh, thing was sticky as anything. You couldn't train on uh, it. But they were like, oh, so proud of this gym. Oh, you were like, so, oh, thanks. Great. <laughs> but, they, but, I, um, but they had this magazine um, about Sao Paulo. I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So it's a big mm. city. And um, every Sunday, this magazine about everything in the city would come out. And I found this advertisement for a gym nearby, like relatively close, called um, Competition. And I was like, can I train there? Can I train there? So they made me wait a month until my language skills are enough to not get myself in trouble. <laughs> Jesus. What language are you uh, Portuguese. Oh, fair enough. Well, you did yeah. well in that time. Yeah, well, yeah. no. So I was allowed to go to the gym. And again, um, just you know how things work out is the guy, one of the head trainers there, mm. he was really close with a guy called Luis Otavio Freitas, who was the only professional uh, Brazilian male bodybuilder at the time. Right. So he was competing professionally in America, but he'd come up with him, trained with him in the gyms. Um, so he knew how a bodybuilder was supposed to train. So again, it's just like pure luck. Perfect. Throughout the program that they wanted to give me, because because it was a it was a um, if you can imagine like Brazil has some you know very flash, very top notch kind of yeah. stuff. So this gym was like. Um, you know, all the, you know, they had wonderful aerobics rooms and, but you had to get a fitness assessment done like every six weeks or something and they give you a new program and you couldn't right. train without that. Right. So I had to do like all these VO oh, VO2 max Jesus tests for that, which Christ. I didn't care about, but I had to do it. <laughs> yeah. And he'd get the program and he'd just like throw it away and give me the bodybuilding program. So, nice. but he would literally, I'd come in and he'd like give me my program kind of on the spot, but he knew what I wanted because well, the goal was to compete and he kept... So I kept that year training, um, you know, under that kind of principle of the same kind of progressive overload principle and, um, you know, a few more more exercises because he obviously knew a few bits and pieces and a bit more about nutrition of what bodybuilders ate and stuff. So I was really, again, just like stroke of luck that I happened to be in that massive city in a place where... Mm this guy knew the only bodybuilder in the whole of Brazil. Um, Brazil's obviously changed a lot and they have a lot of bodybuilders coming out of there now, but back in that era, this is like, you know, 1988 and 89 mm-hmm. and that, it, it wasn't common. It was actually like what the poor people did. So I was, you know, in my family was kind of like, my host family was a bit like suspect on me wanting to be a bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. But um, I went back, got back to Australia and I thought I'd done really well and then my friend was, was like... I. It's like Jesus, she had grown so much. Yeah, <laughs> and I because I, I was feeling like you know I had all this progression and yeah. everything, and um, she had really really grown. So I was like, oh my goodness! But I, you know, yeah. I, I had to finish my high school, so I was not going to compete. How long were you there for? Just a year, okay, so a full year exchange. Yeah, that's um, a decent amount of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I got back. She'd grown a lot. I hadn't. 
I had another year of school to finish because yeah. I wasn't going to try to do both. Yes. Um, but I had this goal that there was a comp in, you know, like the February I was finishing school in November. Yes. So that would give me pretty much the whole summer to prep. Perfect. Uh, which I did. But again, I just kept on, you know, training, training, training towards that and did my first comp in uh, 1991, I think it was. Yeah, Bendigo. And then we went up to Broken Hill. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers Pro Hart. He's this famous Australian artist. Pro Hart. He used to paint all like the Stuart Desert Peas and the real kind of bright... um, Well, he lived in Broken Hill, so it's very desert up there. But for some reason, he had gotten... Like his family or something had really gotten interested in bodybuilding. And um, he hosted a competition all the way out in Broken Hill. So That's cool. Yeah, it was was very cool because it was like, oh, okay. So we all piled on a bus. There was you know, about nine or so of us and um, Shani Schmidt, um, you know, the great body, you know, Australian Samo- via Samoa via New Zealand um, bodybuilder, he was guest posing at that show. So he was on the bus with us and a lot of the, um, you know, from the time, um, I think like Matt McLean, he was, mm-hmm. you know, he would have, you maybe remember him from winning a heap of Masters yeah. comps, you know, of the more recent years, but that was when he was, you know, 22 or something kind of coming up through the under 80s and there was just yeah it's just kind of like a lot of history obviously tony doherty organized mm. that whole thing so that's going back to to 91 and um yeah. you know what happened was i did the comp i didn't do very well because i really didn't have that much muscle yes. um but what it was, was i realized there was such a process to it you know there was three months where i had you know dieted and done all this cardio and yes looked at posing routines and learned how to pose and done all of this stuff. What, and then What categories existed back then? Female bodybuilding. So it was just like one category. <laughs> there was one category. Right. So it was yeah. just, was it just men's bodybuilding and females? That was yeah, it. they was had a, masters and, and juniors. So there so was so like age groups or like... That, that. Not, a, it, not at the small shows. Like I think they That's did, they had weight categories at um, majority of the shows. So they would have like, you know, men's under 70, under 80, under yeah. 90. I think even at that stage, they maybe just had over 90. Sometimes right. they had over 100, but... You know, not many people in that category, you know, tall guys and, and not much muscle, but, yeah. and then female bodybuilding. And then that, that very year was when they introduced what they called body shaping, but it wasn't in alignment with the rest of the IFBB. So IFBB... Was it still like just bikini from the get-go? Um, no. So body shaping was trying to bring the fitness element in. Oh, okay. So it was... It was, it was kind because of, I think in, in IFBB, fitness came first, mm. then figure came, and then obviously bikini came, and yeah. then now wellness, yeah, physique, just, and then wellness. Oh, I was trying to keep up with it. So there's so <laughs> many come in, but yeah, back then it was very simple, but the what the concept was, was, and again, this is this was unique to Australia in that Carol Graham, who was, you know, they ran pretty, pretty much Australia, she was an advocate of, like, anti-muscle on women. Like, she mm. really did not like muscle on women. Yeah. So she was kind of like, oh, the sport's going too far. So she wanted to bring in something, and she brought in this body shaping, but it didn't align with the rest of the world because they didn't have such a thing in the world level or America or anywhere else. So they mm. just, so she just kind of created this thing, um, and I think they would just try to be, like, less muscled female. So it wasn't really well defined what it was meant to be. And then I think the world brought in fitness. So then obviously they brought fitness in and ditched the body shaping category. But so it was around for like two years or something. So they were kind of introducing it and trying to say, okay, this is the difference between, you know, bodybuilding and body shaping. But at an amateur level back then, there really wasn't that much difference. Like, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's probably very unfair because, you know, at that level, like people haven't really developed to the point where, um, there's a big differentiation and obviously now you know there's physiques crossing into bodybuilding and 
body wounds dropping back into physique and it's all just so mixed up because mm. of, you know, each individual person. But that was that was my choice. Like there was bodybuilding, there was only bodybuilding. Um, but then I moved to Melbourne to start my degree, start my, my studies. And I went, and this is again, just how stuff happens. Yeah. Went to the gym nearest to my house, which is a little gym um, called, I can't remember what it was called now actually, but in Church Street, Richmond. Mm-hmm. There's this little gym there and there was a guy who was a, um, he competed for NABBA a lot. So he was a, a master, but he was pretty good in the medium tall category or something I think they called it and um so he sort of latched onto me because he's like oh you like bodybuilding like you train with me okay <laughs> okay <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, and he he kind of took my training to another level because I'd always been following the magazines and you know doing the three sets and everything he's like no you got to do four sets and he kind of like pushed me expanded the mind a little bit to yeah outside of what the prescription was it's like oh you can do a little bit more or a little bit here and there yeah yeah and and he you know he had a very definite routine that he followed and we trained you know literally six days a week three just three day body split across three days Mm -hmm. repeat that cycle yeah and when he when i first started training with me he goes oh we do a light cycle and we do a heavy cycle and then i realized that they were just all heavy cycles we didn't (laughs) (laughs) there was no light because you'd be like oh no i feel like going heavy today (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, so there was no, there was so no. It was like a hypertrophy and a strength or something, but yeah, just, that, it just, didn't just, end just, up. We, we ended up just like, no, no, you just, you, you can go heavier today. Just smash it. Fair enough. <laughs> so he's like, oh, he, I shouldn't say old because he was only like forty something at the time. But mm. when you when you're eighteen, he seemed old. Yeah, um, but yeah. he was, but he'd kind of come at it late. Mm. Um, but you know, he he was competing NABBA, so he kind of drew me into NABBA, and um, you know, he'd go along, started prepping me, and we had you know so many arguments because he was. <laughs> He knew nothing about nutrition. Oh. Here's me studying a degree of nutrition. Um, and he was the one of the, you know, oh, you got to eat the green apple because it's like, because it's the green apple. And because it was sour, he thought it had less sugar. But green apples actually have like a gram more sugar than red apples. This is like you want the Granny Smith apple. But it's it was, green and that's more healthy more association sad. than red. And yeah, it tastes less sweet. It's so. sweeter, so there's more sugar. It's actually the opposite. And the only reason I know that is my dad... Um, He's a plant was a plant nutritionist, so he ah. he actually had all the you know the breakdowns of what nutrition cool. plants needed and what was in plants. He's like, no, actually, Christine, it's um, the red apples have less sugar. There you go. There <laughs> you go. Not, not that it's significantly less, but no, hey, but you know, every gram counts when you when yeah. you're getting down to the wire there. Exactly. But um, but yeah, he he was just you know very very behind. He kind of had learnt from somebody, and yeah, that was all he school. knew. He also, what he did wasn't what he preached. So he, uh, yes. he, he was one of those people that kind of liked to see how hard he could make it for somebody, whereas he himself was not doing the same stuff. So, uh, yeah. you know, we ended up like training parting for a couple ways, of years, yeah. but parting ways. But yeah, the nutrition side of it, I'd just be like, no. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing <laughs> so, that. So, yeah. But it was good for that um, learning, I guess, that process mm. of a, a more, like he kind of taught me how to eat more in the off season because mm. that's the way this... I was going to say, there's people you meet over your career and you go, I almost think back and go, oh, this person taught me this principle or this person highlighted this principle to me, you know, and it's not like I was going in trying to get something from somebody. It was like, it was, yeah. it was just, okay, this was an interaction of friendship, whatever it was. And it's like, oh, they really highlighted to me progressive overload or they really highlighted to me the importance of nutrition or calorie deficit. It's interesting how you go through. It's not like that for everyone, but I think about that in my training career a lot. I'm like, oh yeah, that person really solidified this. Didn't have a clue about that, but that I'm really grateful for that experience of 
learning this. Yeah, mm. and and I think that's what I loved about that era as well. I, I must say it was kind of it was the pre-coach era, mm. so you lot your knowledge did come from the OGs, you know. The, and I remember there was this one guy at the gym that because my training, the, my training partner, the the old guy, he ended up opening a gym in um, Melbourne, like not far from where the other gym was, called mm. Muscle and Body Shape. And he'd taken equipment from another gym, which had been called Muscle, Muscle Shape. I don't know. I can't remember what it was called now. But he took, he added the body shape because there was a conflict over the guy owned the trademark to the name or something. Mm. But he basically, that had been the gym to train at. Mm. He had taken all the equipment when it closed down and he had it in storage. So then he'd always wanted to open a gym. So then he opened this this gym and I was a part of, of that, um, you know, to kind of like, running the desk and stuff like that mm. while I was, was studying and everything. But there was a guy who trained there. His name, I think we used to call him Jimmy the Greek or something. He was a big Greek guy, massive legs. Like this dude, he just trained for fun now, but had competed, had always got super shredded, you know, yeah. majorly striated. And some of his, um, you know, peaking principles and, you know, just keeping it very simple and trying to not to divert from the food that you had been eating through most of your mm. show and stuff and just kind of, not shocking the body, but just mm. his little tricks that he had kind of done on day before comp and stuff and that and incorporate those little ideas, but really that principle of don't overcomplicate it. Because mm. I, I do see people on, you know, peaking, trying to do all this weird and wonderful stuff and then they're putting things in their body which they haven't digested for three months and all mm. of a sudden they wonder why they end up with stomach problems and bloating and mm. all these things which... You know, when you're on stage, you just want to feel comfortable. Like, you don't want to be worried that, oh, that hurts. I can't flex my ab properly because I feel bloated or something. So there's, you know, from the competition side, there's so much to stage that people maybe don't think about. And one of those things is that, you know, feeling comfortable yes. and confident, not feeling like you need to do something else or um, that you can't move properly or something. So yeah, that all shows on stage. Like, if you're not feeling that sitting in the audience looking at somebody, you can tell when someone's in, in discomfort or not happy or not enjoying being up there. And that, as a audience member, makes me feel very uncomfortable. Mm. So I always think on stage, like, you know, I want to make people feel comfortable looking at me. Yeah, I want to feel how much I'm enjoying this rather than like, oh, my God, I, you know, my stomach hurts. And yeah, it's very I true. Yeah. And again, it's, it's like common sense, but it's not common. You know, it's for like people do everything and then they just change everything at the end. And I'm like... Why would you do that? I yeah. mean, like even professional athletes who travel, I like um, the performance nutrition side of things, and it's probably more than you need to know about nutrition for any given person, and that just wants to look and feel good. But when we're we're looking at the best of the best or ultimate performance, we can borrow some of those principles. And mm. something I learned, I was listening to this in prep, and I was on the plane and I was listening to Danny Lennon's podcast. Um, Sigma Nutrition's phenomenal, so he talks to all the scientists, and it's too much for a lot of people, but I like it. But yeah. I like to derive things out of it and go, I'm not getting caught up in all of the weeds because generally they're talking about the studies, the literature, the findings, and then it's sort of being able to sort of take the, the concepts away that, are still viable yeah because obviously there's still a lot we, we're constantly researching and if you look at something in a vacuum you go well that works but it's like yeah but they're talking in a very specific context and then people go oh i'm gonna use this and i'm like stop that no you've listened to one podcast you've taken you've cherry picked one bit of information but anyway but we it, love to do that as humans exactly because it, it gives us that certainty and clarity but yeah so don't, when don't i was young i was like looking at like arginine i remember buying this arginine i was like this is it i'm gonna grow now i've got this arginine it's gonna be 
waste of money. Anyway, um, so you live and learn. But it was about how um, the continuity and the specificity of food in terms of if you, you know, depending on the type of where you live in the world and your cultural aspect, you've been eating the same food and athletes will even bring that. So say they're competing in the Olympics and they will bring that same food, the same dose, the same quantity, even down to the brand because mm-hmm. they cannot risk especially when you're flying overseas. We were talking about India before before we started the podcast. <laughs> you know, to have something happen, especially when, like, even though it's not to take anything away from physique athletes, but it's like, we are not in peak um, performance condition. Like, we are not our strongest at that point, to a degree. So it's like, you look at an athlete that is based on not just aesthetics, but performance, mm. but by byproduct of performance, they aesthetically usually look pretty damn good, i.e. sprinters, things like that. And you think, well, but these guys can't afford to have a bad day because, yeah. like, you need to run that you know distance under 10 seconds and again if you've got anything going wrong and i mean it's just one less thing and i was i was on the plane listening and i was actually competing at the time and i was like that's really simple but like and obviously they went into the depth of it and i was like but how many people don't do that including myself at that point i'd still made little adjustments which was unnecessary Mm. it was unnecessary and i'm like no, my, the mantra is keep it simple, simple a lot of the time, and which is what I'm tattooed on my forehead because it's literally <laughs> a principle I go back to every day because I think we all are guilty of it, but especially myself within that in terms of just the, the and that is the complete irony of nutrition. It can be so complex, but for the most part, it only needs to be simple. Yeah, well, the thing, when you distill it down to mm. the, to the I guess, to the most basic part, it, it, like if someone understands the complexity, which is I guess what mm. you or your coach is for, then when you bring it down to it, at the end of the day, when I look at food, everything is either you know it's either a protein, a carb, or a or a fat. Like okay, there's some fiber in there, but essentially, mm-hmm. on the broader sense, that's all it is. So are you hitting those things? I have this whole thing on a food, food the mm. food um five levels of food which kind of takes it right down to the you know the performance type nutrients and um Mm. you know things like probiotics and whatnot but just in in the basic term of if someone needs to get something right then taking care of those basics Mm. you know protein carbs fats but then taking it that next level and that's when you start to differentiate between where am i getting the protein from Mm. where am i Mm. getting the fat from where am i getting the carbs from and those different different you know the different types of fats the different types of proteins mm. we were talking before about um the protein and, and people not understanding why there's different types of proteins particularly in international proteins range mm. where we have mm. ones which are for post-workout we have ones which are for more between meal or night time because of the different types of protein are in them because mm-hmm. protein is not all it's not this big group of thing it's very very differentiated in right. terms of where it comes from, you know, how your body digests it, what the amino acid profile is. So then that's kind of like taking it down to the next level is like, what's the amino acid profile or, um, you know, what is the, the um, you know, that kind of subcategory of food. And then you get into the, like, what nutrients does it contain? Mm. Because that's, you know, one of the things with protein, again, all of your flesh proteins, I call them, you know, your, your beefs and your chickens and whatnot have a place because they have different complement of vitamins and minerals that protein powder doesn't have. Mm-hmm. The protein has a different complement of vitamins and minerals, and then it has a different digestion rate, and it has different amino acid profile, which is more conducive, I believe, to um, to growing muscle. And that's where, but you can't make all of your food up out of that because of these other things that you need. So it's kind of as as people want to get more and more into it, they can drill down to that level, Correct. and then you can start looking at what phytonutrients are in something, which is obviously more relevant to plants. Mm-hmm. But then in meats and things, there's things like your carnitines, which lives in the meat muscle, and there's CLA, and 
you know, that's all the little sub differences that are in different types of food. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a very complex. And then, as you said, people take things out of context because they do a study on a particular person who at a particular time under these particular conditions and three people are in the study. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. Like, exactly. Or it's know, done on rats. Or, yeah, and you're like, that, right. I mean, we are, they are similar biologically, <laughs> but they're not that, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's still, but, but I think that was the point of um, we're still learning so much about nutrition and the interaction and how things interact mm. in our body. But at the same time, nothing's changed in the fact of that we need protein, fat, and carbohydrate. Mm. Like if you take it all the way back there again. Yeah. You have to start with that, and like you said, and then once you say, so okay, can you tick that box? It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's and then depending on how far you want to go, but the problem is people try and start here, or they try and start at that third level, and it's like, well, but that negates the upper echelon because you, that is you haven't the, got the, that part right. Exactly. Like if you haven't got that ratio right, whatever's right for you, and that's another. I mean, this is kind of a, a segue into mm. the age thing. Mm. You know, bodybuilding is very much about you know the high protein, low fat. I will never say low carb because mm. what what on earth are you training on? You know, yeah, don't get <laughs> how, yeah. How how can you lift heavy weight? How can you even have the mental power to lift heavy weight mm. if you're not getting carbs into your system? Mm. But then as you get older, what I've found is that I have to eat so much less carbohydrate and more fat. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of fat that I eat in my diet now compared to when I was competing is. I'm astounded, mm. um, but it's it just seems to it feels better, and I'm very much more now about um, kind of going with what feels right, mm-hmm. and the, and I kind of came about that because I was in a system of doing I was very routine. Okay, I do this at this time and this at that time, and I eat this time. This is how I eat, and then something just was not right, and I was kind of scratching my head like I'm following my routine. I realized that my routine had. It was the same, but my lifestyle had shifted, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I was still eating dinner, but dinner might have been at like six o'clock and now all of a sudden it was nine o'clock. Yeah. Because by the time that fitted into my new routine or my new lifestyle, and I'm like, I never would have eaten at nine o'clock at night. Like, am I mad? Like, what am I? I'm doing something really wrong here. That was a good chance to kind of step back and look and also say, well, I'm eating like, you know, very very clean diet eating you know low calorie and probably too low calorie so i'm like okay let's switch this up a bit and you know let's whack those calories up let's change the fats around but restructure how i'm eating like the time and this is probably where the intermittent fasting kind of thing i was not really into it and then i started to kind of read about it and understand it and experiment with it and i'm like oh my god this actually feels so much better and that's kind of shortening that time frame of eating changing the macro structure and then just, you know, the, the structure is the same. I just kind of pushed it back down yeah. to not being so yeah. late at night and things started changing in my body. So, yeah. So, and I, I do think that fat has a lot to do also with like injury and joints and, and yeah. keeping a, everything. Gets a bad rap, but like a lot of nutrients do because the education isn't there. And that, and that's, I think that I know we're jumping all over the place mm. again, but nutrition like you were talking about Mm. bodies at the start and how body types are a fashion and what Mm. people aspire to and and what's good nutrition is exactly the same and i actually did a a talk on my facebook probably a year or so ago i've been around since the 70s i remember when tab was the first diet soft drink and if anyone can google tab and understand what that is um the one calorie in a can um (laughs) Jesus. That was good like, marketing. it literally was the first um, yeah. of its kind of, of any kind of like, you know, diet product. Mm. But just all of the fads that I've been through 
particularly working in the food mm. industry that I have seen to see where it comes and how we've actually, we tend to like, because people want easy, mm-hmm. we, we dive for the extreme. We always try to hit the extreme mm. and we end up causing an imbalance. So, you know, we, we want to go low fat. So I think low fat really was mm. probably the first fad when they mm. took, you know, there was no low fat dairy product. Now, as you said, it's like 0% fat milk, this, that, and the other, like strip all the fat out of everything because fat is bad. Yeah. And, um, you know, that I believe came about because we didn't have nutritional panels on our food, but we had calorie counters. Mm-hmm. And we all figured out that fat had twice as many calories as carbohydrate and everything. So therefore, if you wanted to eat less calories, you just had to cut out fat because that was like causing all these calories. But nobody was looking at the type of fat, what the role of fat was. We were just like, nah, fat's bad, calories, yeah. want to lose weight. So that was kind of like that first trend. And I remember um, my one of my first jobs was at Uncle Toby's working in nutritious snacks, which is, I don't know, that's a bit of a loose word, but... <laughs> In context of the time, they yes. were nutritious compared to other things on the market. Mm. But um, but what I remember doing this presentation and looking at a, a normal fat product and a low fat product, and because of all the other stuff you had to put into the low fat product, the calories were actually the same. Mm. So you weren't really achieving that result of getting mm. lower calories, but you were just eating a heap more carbohydrate. And then what have we done to ourselves? Oh my God, we have so much insulin resistance mm. and we have all of these problems that we created because the body needs to have that fat, you know, to balance the rate that the food's digested and that the carbs hit the system. So it just is an ongoing thing. And then we kind of go to the other extreme and we rip all the carbohydrates out and then we try to put, you know, all yeah. fat in and, and then you're Seems missing... one or the other. Yeah, and, and it like... But, I mean, I, I understand, um, you know, with the, the high-fat diet, there is a place in people who have ADD and they're, look, they're looking at that um, that mm. whole space of people who have more, like, I guess an overexcited brain, yeah. the role that that can play. Now, the, the reason that I, it, it makes perfect sense to me is because obviously carbohydrate has a lot to do with the energy for the brain. Mm. So mm. if your brain's already too hyperactive, then you don't need to necessarily feed mm. it so much direct energy. You can maybe feed it a, a, a more longer route to getting at that energy. Mm. So that... Yeah, the same that for could people be very... who um, suffer with epilepsy. It's probably the only, um, uh, like, that's the reason why you'd want to go into full, like, keto kind of style to, to, to do it. I will, I will have to stop us only because <laughs> to time. So we're going to have to leave we're it on a mask. We're we? We are. Um, but this is good because I'm loving it. And I, and I don't want to do it a disservice. So I think we're going to have to do a part two because okay. I want to get into... No, I really want to get into your nutritional background. Like you said, yeah. like even there, I've just got so many questions. Like even just like where you've worked, what you've done, the studies, talking about the differential, separating it, the qualitative, like where to go to study nutrition. That's a big thing, yeah. which I'll have to chat to you. And then we've not even talked about like the 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 conception of international protein and how that's but anyway so we'll, we'll and, but I won't ask you the the rapid fire questions and the main one yet because I want to save that yeah because that again it, it does deserve a, a thoughtful answer so I guess initially cliffhanger for people but for people in in the meantime want to find out more about you and they want to maybe get in contact or they got any questions or they want to follow along because you've left them with some great thought projects where's the best place to touch base with you at this point in time okay there's a couple of best places i mean my two main ones really are facebook and instagram Mm -hmm. be the easiest place um i have christine anvil just search the Mm. the name it pops up i do have a couple of different pages on facebook but either way um You'll, you'll be able to see my stuff. Yes. Um, obviously, I have a lot of videos that I've done over the years talking about, you know, sports supplements, talking about nutrition. 
heap of content on Facebook. Obviously, Instagram is the mm. more pictorial cut down kind of stuff but i do tend to spend more time on there because mm, i enjoy mm. that platform so people can reach me through there they don't need to email me mm, or mm. anything complicated like that because it'll get lost with all of my work stuff yeah um so the social media platforms are probably the best way to, to find me yeah. and to find the stuff that i'm doing and, and talking about and ask questions through yeah. that and then also that gives me um ideas for what people want to hear about more of because which is yeah which is going to be good for i guess what more content for the future yeah because um, I, I struggle with that as you can see the nutrition yeah. topic is, is so, broad. so broad and people are kind of mm. like i need to really get a more specific mm. question and then i can answer that but i can't answer broad yeah um, so, so that, let's i guess let's well i'll, I'll put all those in the show notes as yeah. well for then the links for people as well and if people want to hear anything specifically for even muscle talk or the future yeah the second round two they can pop that in there yeah because um, muscle talk still we have like 50 odd episodes i was gonna say because you've still got it there and it's just yeah. sort of regenerating it's, it's just will. like it hasn't slowed down like it's still got like a fairly consistent weekly download people yeah. just new people finding it that's um good. the information's timeless and that's well the that's point. it that's the factual point. yeah i guess to end on this then to give people some just takeaways um if there was three things that you could offer or advise people to do every day that were achievable realistic and timely what would three things that you would advise people to do it doesn't have to be nutrition based it can be anything from your experience just three things that you would advise people to do every day to improve their life right now okay easiest one sleep get at least seven hours of sleep (laughs) oh yes i'm gonna play that for people (laughs) so that is absolutely the number one and i would say move like um, do some type of activity or movement. Like you need to do something every day. I like to do weight training. I like to do a lot of different things, but if people find something that they enjoy to do, so something, not something that it's a real struggle to Mm -hmm. do, but something that is not, um, you know, it's, it's gotta be something which is taking you further than just going for a walk Mm -hmm. to your, um, car or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't count. Do something there's so much stuff out there, whether it be Zumba classes, mm. whether it be cycling classes, whether it be jogging, bike riding, weight training, cross-functional fitness. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much stuff out there. Find something, try a whole bunch of different stuff. So move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third thing is going to be actually do some kind of personal development thing. Set like move towards your goals. And that's just because I've gotten a little bit more into personal development, become more mindful of... Um, what am I actually doing in life and what direction and stuff like that. So I think probably work on yourself. Don't just work on your physical and your nutrition, but actually work, I guess, on your mindset. Internal, and, yeah. yeah. your internal things and and become a more positive person. Like that would be always look at something in the positive sense. So when you're goal setting, don't say, oh, I don't want this. Think of what you do want. Think in the positive. I like it. So that's my, my little mantra at the moment. Sleep, move, educate. Yep. Guys, I appreciate it. Christine, thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to the next one. As ever, guys, remember, like, comment, subscribe. Let us know what you want to see more of. Share it around. And, of course, we'll see you in that next episode. Until the next one, stay fearless. For those of you who are confused, frustrated, and sick and tired of not seeing the results that you want or deserve, make sure that you click the apply for coaching button in the description below and line up a completely free consultation with myself where we can discover if it's a good fit as client and coach and take your health and physique to the next level once and for all.